Hey guys, brand new podcast, and you're going to love it. Uh, nothing to promote at all. Always two, two Bears, One Cave is out. <laughs> Bill Bird is out, and this one's a great one. As you guys know, I've been obsessed with history as of late, and uh, there's one guy that's kind of a... There's like few guys that are go-to guys when it comes to history, but if you're a big Rogan fan, you know for a fact that Danielle Bellelli is the guy. And so I got lucky enough to talk to him. We talk about... I think we talk about... Uh, Teddy Roosevelt a little bit. We talk about my obsession with World War II. We talk about a lot of great stuff. It's just a history talk. And so uh, you're going to love it. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, today's podcast, Danielle Bolelli. This is Thank you so much for doing this. I, uh, I, I've been a fan of yours for a long time now. I heard you first on Rogan and, uh, and it's funny. I, I literally, you're one of those guests that Joe has on where I was like, great guest. I'd never have him on my podcast. I have nothing in common with him. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden I became fucking obsessed with history. <laughs> and, and I, so, you know, it was, it was an accident. I've never really given a shit about history in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And Bill Burr, uh, got me to read this book called Flyboys about mm. um, about the Japanese uh, the, the theater, the Pacific theater of mm -hmm. World War II. And I, the, I mean, it was the first, I don't know, have you ever, have you read that book? Have you heard of that book? I've heard of it. I haven't read it. So the very first chapter breaks down Japan. Mm -hmm. And I, I, for whatever fucking reason, it was like a warm blanket. It, it felt like a warm blanket. Mm. Like I just to, like I couldn't get enough information and I just got super hungry for like, and, and you know what? And I think what's a real pleasure is I, you know, I, I don't know what you may or may not know about me, but I was in college for seven years. <laughs> yeah. I was a party animal. I never, yeah. I never opened a book. In I never started. So for all of a sudden to have a wealth of information I'm uh, and then this coincides with me watching uh, a movie, the darkest hour about Winston Churchill. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh shit, that's Dunkirk. Oh, like all of a sudden I'm connecting. Going, the, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Oh of my course. God. And, um, and then I, and, and obviously we're both big fans of Dan Carlin. He's a God. Dan is the man. God, right. And you I love that to a guy named Mike Duncan. Mm -hmm. Yep. Who's yep. fucking, I, yep. I was like, I got to get him on the podcast. Right. Um, but I, but I, and so I thought we'd just kind of talk, I, my honest, my, my one question for you is why am I so interested in history? You know what? It's funny. I, I was actually going to ask you about that. It's like, what do you think changes so much? What is the warm blanket feeling? Like, where does that come from? Cause you know, for me, I grew up as a kid, like, I remember they would give me these books that were kind of illustrated history. And I sort of learned how to read on them. And I would spend my time sort of imagine. It really was storytelling. I would imagine these stories. I would imagine what this guy in this place doing in Egypt 3,000 years ago. And, oh, there's that hot woman going by. And, and I'm picturing all these stories, right? And history just gave them, make them juicier because it gives you context. It gives you all the elements to make the story cooler. But um, that's my experience, you know? So for me, it's normal because it's like that's, sort of all I, you know, I grew up with it. It's been, yeah. so to discover it later in life and have that feeling of like, wow, this is really hitting me in a big way. 
it's interesting. I'm like, huh, how does that work? I, a- I can I can lay in bed and put on one of your first of all, your voice I, literally relaxes the living shit out of me. I put I put on Teddy Roosevelt. It's, I think you have a three part on Teddy Roosevelt mm-hmm. and I'll put it on in bed and I'll lay in bed and I'll listen to you. I'll giggle every now and then at some of the pronunciations of your words. <laughs> what do you mean? I have no and like just your ad, your ad for the blue chews <laughs> is a, 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 Ciala. And so, um, but I, but I can, I, I think what I'm, what I'm attracted to is, I was trying to vocalize this to my buddy, Tom Segura, and I was saying in a world where everything that we're, that we talk about is kind of, uh, uneven, mm-hmm. I was trying to explain to my dad about a guy or, a, a fuck it, see, I already fucked up of a, a woman who had transitioned, uh, in transition she was uh-huh. a tra- i'm already i'm like fucking it up and i'm afraid to talk about it right <laughs> so so and so right in in a weird way when you hear stories like the japanese people going into china and literally raping everyone and cutting yeah. their heads off and putting them on spits and and there's definitiveness to it it's mm-hmm. it's a horrible act that you can't deny and and there's no no one needs to it's it's real, it, and I, there's I, there is something about history where I I'm no one's apologizing for it. No, exactly. <laughs> and no one, and, and everyone and it's very there are no it is very concrete. It is, mm-hmm. and I, I for some reason, and I didn't understand uh, monarchies. I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. I, I I really didn't know that at one point everyone had a king and queen, and sure. that's. I mean, I, I know I've heard this shit. Yeah. I know that's why we started America, but right. I didn't realize, oh, fuck. We were like game changers. We're like, fuck, we don't want a yeah. king. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and today I'm, I'm sitting there going, wait, when did Italy get rid of their king? 1942? Is that Mussolini? Shut the <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like, it's like watching, right. it's like watching uh, The Usual Suspect. You're like, oh, he can walk again. It's, a, it's almost like solving a mystery, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there is that for sure, you know, because so much of history, you know, you are a little bit here, a little bit there. There's no context. There's no rhyme or reason. You know, something could have happened 2000 years ago or 100 years ago. And unless you have a, you start having a clear sense of what's up, it all meshes in one big thing. But then when you do start putting the pieces together, it's more fun because you see it's like, oh, that's why this thing happens. That's how this is connected to this other thing. Oh, it's not a coincidence that these guys were thinking similar stuff because they all live it at the same time. They were dealing with the same thing, you know? And that, um, I don't know, to me, it had the texture to the human experience. It's like if you, by virtue of uh, just time limitations, every one of us is only alive for so long. So you can only acquire so much experience through your own personal experience. History is like a cheat code. It allows you to gain experience from other people's lives. And, you know, yeah. you find out what they did, uh, what they screwed up about, what they had great ideas about, what experiments worked out, which ones didn't. And it's fun that way because it's like, oh, I can use that. Oh, that helps me quite a bit. And it becomes really like a video game cheat code where it's like, oh, now I've acquired all these other people's experience in the process. I, I'm, I'm I, during the uh, uprising. I don't even know what you're supposed to call it because I don't want anyone mm-hmm. to think I'm politically sided to one way or another. Mm-hmm. I just I try to stay out of politics. But during the uprising that happened at the Capitol at that time, I am happening uh, upon uh, Tsar Nicholas II, mm-hmm. 
And I am, I'm realizing, first of all, how ineffective that fucking guy was. <laughs> yeah. It takes some special talent to fuck it up that much. Yeah. He fucked up yeah. a dynasty that had been around forever. I mean, yeah. and by the way, he didn't need to do much to just like, just throw some sausages at his coronet or like at a party. That's it. Right? Yeah. A, little more, a little extra. And then not be like, fuck them. That's basically, he just, he looked at the Russians as like, fuck them. They're, they're going to be here tomorrow. Like he really took advantage of that country. But yeah. what, what is amazing to me, I, and I hope I say this with respect to whoever is, it's going to offend, is the same fucking morons that stormed the Capitol, those same fucking mouth breathers that decided violence against our government was the way they were going to solve it were identical to Lenin and Stalin and all those fucking idiots that killed. Right. They only killed Tsar Nicholas because they were going to like, they just killed Tsar Nicholas as like a Hail Mary attempt to save their, their footing in, in Russia. And, and I'm sitting there going, people have always looked at Lenin and Stalin as as like Stalin at one point was probably the most powerful, influential man in the world. Right. He was a fucking idiot. Yeah. He yeah, was a I mean, fucking idiot. One of the Stalin thing that cracks me up the most is when, uh, you know, he's a, a paranoid freak, right? You know, if you look at him weird, he has you shot and your whole family kind of thing. And the one time when he decides to trust somebody, he trusts Hitler. He trusts Hitler. Yes. <laughs> Hitler. Hitler. This is how Stalin is. He's like, Hitler and I are going to be besties. I yes. swear to God, he said that. And I'm like, what the fuck? I know, and that is all puzzle. It's like, what? Hitler betray me? How could he? How, how is that possible? And it's like, Jesus, man, you kill everyone, even people who have nothing against you just because you are paranoid. The one time you choose to trust somebody, you pick Hitler, good judge of human character. Nicely done. That's. Oh. I mean, it, it, it really, and then I get drawn to these characters. And I, I think, like, Teddy Roosevelt, someone I've always been fascinated mm-hmm. with. And you're, and, and I, I don't want you to have to recount the pot. It's a three part podcast that everyone should go. Everyone history on fire is a fu- is fucking amazing. It is amazing. It really is. I'm, I, today I just started listening to the 47 Ronins, um, which I, I like, like a fucking idiot. I thought it was a, I thought it was a bad Keanu Reeves movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. I didn't realize this is something yeah, that is a real story. It's a real story that's been carried out through theater and kabuki for year like i mean yep but I, I i have so much i want to talk to you about but i'm i'm so this sunday i'm doing is winston churchill's death mm-hmm. and i'm celebrating winston churchill day by having a breakfast that he had i'm i'm whiskey stri- and what <laughs> <laughs> whiskey a cigar some yes. egg some bacon some toast some jam and a glass of water and i Perfect. am starting it at eight in the morning and i'm dictating jokes to my wife that sound excellent. Yeah, right? <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Yes. What could possibly go wrong? But I'm, yeah. I'm drawn to these big personalities um, like Teddy Roosevelt, um, Winston Churchill, these larger than life personalities. And I wanted to ask you, out of, all, out of all the people in history, who do you think was probably the most engaging? And, and, and I, like Mike Duncan, I just started listening to Peter the Great. I didn't realize that guy fucking partied balls. Yeah, that guy yeah. basically... I mean, there's so many fucking great characters in history. Never, really never even. I, I went and studied in Russia. Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, I robbed a train, really. But like, but fucking, I didn't know anything about Peter the Great. So, yeah. who do you think are the most engaging 
characters that we've had in history. And then I'm curious, how do you feel like people like Barack Obama, who will go down as probably one of the greatest men that ever lived, um, how does he p- match up to like to like a Peter the Great or to a, a Teddy Roosevelt or to a Harry S. Truman or someone like that? I think it's funny. Yeah, the ones that I find myself really fascinated with, they all share a characteristic of being mildly mentally deranged. They all have something there that's just like not quite fully functional. They are usually very intense. They are sensitive in a weird way, but that makes them super intense in everything they do. And yeah, they got they have some serious issues. You know, you look at Roosevelt, I find him you know, ridiculously fun to study, super interesting guy. But, you know, you can accuse him of a lot of things. Being a perfectly stable, mentally stable guy is not one of them. You know, he's just... Or, you know, I did a series on Crazy Horse. Crazy Horse. I I have a hard time. uh, I'll be very candid, and I hope this doesn't come up once again. It's I I, I go back to this reality we live in now where people take offense to the little things. I have a very hard time listening to anything Native American because I it starts to, uh, I hope this sounds right, I start to lose sympathy for them. Like, <laughs> which way? What they, they are they were fucking so emotionally detached, I feel like is the right word. Like just that they'd cut someone's nose off and be like, Yeah, you got no nose now. We cut your nose off. <laughs> and like and that, that didn't register that yeah, we just like they like there I read a book, Rogan recommended some book on on I wanna say it was on I don't know what it was on. It was on Native Americans and I fucking read that book and I just was like I, I think I know which one it is. And I think that's also part of the problem with the way history sometimes is shaped. That like that book, the one you're thinking of, Joe was really gung-go about this book on the Comanche. Yeah. I, I'm trying to find a way to be polite about it, but that's just like the most ridiculous crap I've ever read because oh. it's just so historically inaccurate. It's not even fun. Like the dude is clearly going for uh overdoing everything so is is and it's not to say that you know the opposite is true that you need to romanticize people because sometimes people are mean motherfuckers and that's fine to say it and be explicit about it but like to me is sneaky when you clearly somebody has an agenda and they will uh, zero in on every single aspect that's disturbing they will buy into a bunch of stories that are not even true to add to the disturbing part and they completely hide all the other stuff so that what you end up is a complete stereotype of like i want to you know this book has to be about savagery and people freaking out going who are these monsters and you know unfortunately the way it's done is just so <sighs> It's just so shady because it's just, you know, tweaking historical evidence to feed a preconceived notion rather than actually doing history. So, you know, I am totally against doing the opposite, which is, you know, the over-romanticism, tweaking this. Actually, it's the same thing. It's just tweaking the historical evidence to present a completely different image and it all dances with wolves and they are all hugging trees and they are sweet and peaceful. That's bullshit too. You know what I mean? It's like... But very often stuff is sold that way, particularly about culture that's not cultures that are not as mainstream, where you're not gonna have three gazillion people raise their hands saying, Hey, that's bullshit, that's not true. So many authors, filmmakers, and so on shape it to be their own fantasy projects. So they turn it into something that has very little 
to do with reality. It becomes a caricature, either a caricature for they are the noble savage who's in touch with nature and they kiss babies and have visions all day long, or they are the most vicious people on earth and you, if you say hello, they kill you. And it's like, neither one is real. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's a lot more complicated than either one presented. And uh, but yeah, that book is trippy because so many people have read it and become ridiculously popular. And I mean, I read it for, and again, you know, I, I understand, you know, not everybody, that's kind of what I do for a living. So it's a little easier for me to pick through, through it. But as I was going through, I was like, man, this is so bla- It's like, if you're going to screw things up, do it in a little more <laughs> underhanded way, you know, be smoother about it. You know, I'm a big yeah. fan of people who are bullshitters who can pull it off. That's just such a rough job, to, you know, such a rough way to go about it, where it's pretty odd. Like, I don't know, like right off the bat, there's a thing is like, the Comanche were the only guys who managed to successfully breed a horse in North America among North American tribes. They're like a bunch of other Nespers were super famous for doing that. Things where you're like, dude, if you lie about something that well-known, that basic, what the hell, you know? So, yeah. so that's yeah, kind I- of... Uh, I got the vibe that I got the vibe there. You know, it's interesting is um, I do feel like I I am reading books written by old white men sometimes. And it's got an old white vibe feel to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's what's tricky. That's what I find interesting sometimes about uh, when I have to prepare a series, you know, in some cases I already know a lot on the topic. In some cases I don't. And I have to kind of start from scratch. And, uh, you know, you read the first book and you're like, wow, this gives me a whole, now I get it. And then you read the second book and you're like, no way, I didn't get it. There's a whole other side to it that I didn't fully. And then, you know, and by the time you eat book number six or seven or eight on the same topic, you're seeing it from so many different angles. And the whole thing becomes so much more nuanced than what you got from book number one. And, you know, maybe you get lucky and book number one is awesome and it does a fairly good job. But it's like adding layer of pains to the story. You know, it's like the first one is good. It's a good start, but then each one adds a level of texture and understanding that goes way, way deeper. Now, eventually you have to stop because otherwise you turn into Dan Carlin and it's like, I'm going to release an episode every five years because I have to read every single book that has ever been written. And it's like, no, you probably don't need to do that. You can relax a little, but at the same time, I understand it, you know, because it does, uh, it does make a difference. Tell me about uh, Crazy Horse. I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about World War One uh, a little bit, only because sure. you're Italian, and and I keep finding Italy is not involved in anything. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Italy really kind of dodged a ton of fucking bullets. But I'm, uh, and and then and what's crazy is when you talk about you read the one book. I read one book, uh, the world that the war that ended peace, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's about World War One, and the whole fucking book is basically telling about where everyone was before World War One. It barely even talks about World War One. <laughs> like about 500 pages in, they're like, okay, and then World War One starts, but yeah. that's for the next book. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, and then yeah. and then uh and Russia is just such an interesting fucking place. Yep. With as big as it is. Yep. Such a I mean that's yeah, humongous. But tell me a little bit about Crazy Horse because I saw that on your list. I mean I it's funny. I I'm curious if you what works well with you for you on history on fire, if you know what gets the most downloads, because I, I'm assuming 
Teddy Roosevelt had to be the biggest. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, 47 Ronin actually went really well. I did a lot of the ones where I do biographies tend to hit it even more than when I tell a bigger story that involves a million characters where there's a focus on one person. Uh, those tend to tend to do even better than you. You, you did so well with Teddy Roosevelt and grabbing me in. I mean, I love, I love facts. Like when you go, you know, you mentioned he had asthma and that his dad thought to help asthma, he needed to smoke cigars. <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm like, like all of a sudden a fact like that yeah, just draws yeah. me in and I, and I can, I can vi- envision it. I can see a big Oak desk and him sitting him down, son, have a cigar. It's good for your asthma. Yes. Or driving around in the cars. You know, I drove around. I have asthma too, but I have uh, allergy induced asthma. And literally I, I was like, I'm gonna go for a ride in the car. Just like old Teddy Roosevelt. Like it's so Yep. It's so amazing. But tell me a little bit about Crazy Horse because I dodged that because I felt like every time I listen to, read anything about Native Americans, I become unsympathetic. The, um, yeah, no, Crazy Horse. Have you ever watched the Netflix series The Punisher? They did uh, yeah, a couple of yeah, seasons. Yeah. So basically, Crazy Horse is, is The Punisher. It's the Native American version of The Punisher. It's almost to a T the same story. Oh. You know, he sees everyone he loves die in one way or another. You know, his mom hang herself when he's five years old. And then, you know, you go through his life and he's like, you know, one tragedy is a big one. When you hit tragedy number 25, you're like, how are you still standing? How is it even, how can you, everyone he loves something horrible happen, right? And he's clearly, you know, a serious PTSD. He speaks very little. He's a super reserved guy. In Lakota culture, where there's a lot of kind of boasting and muscle flexing and being very macho and being like, I'm the toughest, you know, being so soft-spoken and mellow, he kind of got overlooked, like, what's with you? But then when when they are in battle, everybody's got to pay. He's like the prototype of the strong, silent type, because he's just such a badass that everybody's like, okay, he may not talk much, but Jesus, this guy is something else. And uh, and you do get, like, yes, one point when his brother dies, his way of dealing with it, of dealing with the grief, he's, uh, he just leaves camp on his own, and he just goes down to hunt any soldier he finds, isolated, and just kill them by himself. Just to, I think, like, one of his friends said, he killed enough to satisfy, and then he came back home. And, you know, there's, and it's very much that Punisher thing, right? Where the only moment where he can stop this monstrous pain that he feels all day long, because there's all his life, he's lost everywhere, is when he's in battle. You know, he goes off in battle and he just kind of gorges into the fighting. And that's when everything calms down and he can be oddly enough at peace for a while. And so, you know, if you, if you dig something like the Punisher story, that's perfect. That's the exact, wow. you know, and so it's, it's a powerful how come, how come they haven't made that movie? Right? They, they really should. You know what? I think a lot of Hollywood stuff, they are really scared to touch Native American projects because uh, Native Americans are about 1% of the population of the United States. So you don't have a ready-made audience, like you say you do an African-American movie, but that's a big chunk of the population. Yeah, Natives are a really small chunk. And usually, plus they're usually period pieces, so it's uh, more expensive because you have to do a historical thing. And what typically happens is they are not going to want to touch it, and nobody does, and then one person will do it, 
they will hit it out of the park. And then for five years, they are going to make like 25 movies all about Nate. Like when Dances with Wolves hit it in 1990, between 1990 and 1995, they were making Native American movies every other second. Yeah. And then they stopped. And then they kind of let it sit and they haven't really touched it that much since. And um, it's it's classic Hollywood, you know, it's like you never want to be the first to do something because you're afraid to lose money. You don't want to, you always want to be the second, right? You always want to be, we have a proven commodity. Now we're going to repeat that same formula until it gets tiring and then we'll move to something else. But I think the, the general perception of that is that native stuff is a little scary from a money-making standpoint for these guys. It's funny. Crazy Horse is the one with the big monument, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's not a monument that's not coming down. No, it's that's a wild <laughs> one. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. If you go to the Black Hills in South Dakota, there's you know Mount Rushmore, the faces of the presidents, and all of that. And then, like just down the road, a few miles down, there's Crazy Horse Mountain. That's yeah. It's even though it's unfinished, it's pretty spectacular. You know, you drive out and suddenly you turn and you're like, "Whoa, what the hell is that?" Because you see yeah. this super sculpted mountain with a face in it and everything, and it's uh, it's pretty wild. We went, we, when I worked for Travel Channel for a long time and uh, we went, I wish I could remember the name of the, tri, uh, the, the, I don't know if tribe, did you say tribe? Is that, yeah, yeah. yeah, the name of the tribe that we hunted buffalo with, but. Uh, Where were you? Name? Which state was it? Uh, Mon, uh, Montana. I don't know, Montana, I think. Montana could be Crow, could be... Oh, it was Crow, 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 it was Crow. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) They were the ones... They were the the ones... Ah, fucking shit. What's the ones that you... Well, you're... you're, you're You studied Native American histories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What were the ones that did the... uh, Was it... uh, They... Fuck. I want to call someone that worked on that fucking show and find out... Not custard was custard crow. No, but what happened? So what happened with that is that uh, like the Battle of the Little Bighorn is Little Bighorn. On, yeah, it's on the crow reserve. It's right around the crow reservation. It's we right did. The, we the re- we reenacted the battle. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm I'm so sorry. Yeah. I it's it was really amazing. Yeah. It's overshadowed by. See, this is the difference on where I am today and where I was then. It's overshadowed on the fact that we were riding motorcycles out to go and reenact it and. We were going maybe like ninety miles an hour, and <laughs> and the cop and the, and we were led by the chief in a truck, and a cop pulled us over, and he was like, "Do you have any fucking idea how fast you were going?" And we're like, "Yeah, we're trying to get to Crow ter- Crow the, to this yeah. Crow, to Little Bighorn right by sunset so we can reenact the battle." And he's like, "Excuse me," and the chief pulled up and he goes, "They're with me. Let's go, go." And the cop went, "Oh, sorry." <laughs> and then, and that was that was the story I hung my hat on. We reenacted a little yeah. big one. I have no. We got. Of course. We got. Yeah. We had. We were on horseback, and we had them uh, riding bareback, circling us, and and uh, it was. And I was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" But I couldn't stop thinking of the one story of the chief. Of course, of course, because like, that's, that's a badass story. Of course, totally. Yeah, Little Bighorn is a wild one, even because it's so recent. You know, so many of the other things happened so much earlier. Little Bighorn, you know, it's 1876. 1876. You know, United States is has been around for a hundred years since the Declaration of Independence. It's a big, powerful nation, and so the idea that the U.S. Army is getting its ass kicked by some what essentially. Most Americans at the time consider backward, stone age savages, 
It's a bit of a shock. It really freaks them out. And um, yeah, that one is a fascinating story. Caster is, uh, I mean, he's completely batshit crazy, but very interesting guy. You know, there's uh, wild in a lot of ways. And uh, yeah, uh, those stories I find really fascinating. Yeah, but I made the I chief guess, laugh. Uh, I made the chief laugh doing my impression of custard. Going, <laughs> I think we could take him. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably accurate. It's probably how it went. I literally, I was, we were on horseback, and he was like, and I was like, so custard just sat here, and he's like, and and they're surrounding us. They're they're running in circles yeah. around us, and I was like, he's like, I think we can take him. And he, yeah, it's like fucking almost fell off his horse laughing. Great. We can attack them on all sides. That's perfect. <laughs> we have them exactly where we want them. You know, that was funny, actually, because Caster was a guy who really never saw a battle he didn't like. You know, he went through the civil war. Most of people in this unit died left and right. And he was all sad when it ended. He's like, I wish I could see battle every day of my life. He was just a serious war junkie. You know, he got off on the adrenaline and that was his thing. And and I think my theory on Little Big Horn is that they set him up because what happened was that the people back in Washington, they wanted this war to wrap up sooner rather than later. And most of the other generals were really more cautious because they're like, hey, you know, these guys are going to lose. They are, they are, there's less and less bison every day. We are, but it may take a while. You know, in the meantime, they are still dangerous and I don't want to be the one who's the last one to die in this war, you know? And then, so what happens is that they figure, okay, all these other generals are so cautious. How about Caster? Caster, hey, a Caster is like, you know, he's like a bull with the red flag, right? You know, he's like, battle, go, charge. So they knew that he was going to go after them. And from their point of view, either outcome was perfect. Because either he wins, in which case, great, he wins the war and it's done. Or he gets smashed, in which case people across the U.S. will demand, okay, you need to put more money into the war, we need to have vengeance, and Congress will be forced to put more money into the military. Either way, from the generals back in Washington's standpoint, it's like, we win either way. Either he wins or the Damas gets killed, and we get what we want regardless. So you kind of get the feeling that they set him up. This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Hey, you, you got bush. You definitely do if you haven't tried the best product from our sponsor today, Manscaped. After using these life-changing products, you're going to want to join the Ball Sack Beauty Contest. I'm looking out for you, too, because I have a 20% discount off if you use the promo code BERT at manscaped.com. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game with their perfect package 3.0 the perfect package 3.0 kit comes with the essential lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer with a ton of liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine this is the best trimmer to help you trim up the edges this trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents and thanks to advanced skin safe technology pioneered by manscaped you're not gonna have to worry about that when you trim the hedges The tree stands taller. I used to say, when you trim back the bushes, there's more sidewalk. This actually sounds a lot better. Sounds a lot better. Inside the perfect package, you're going to also find Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, making sure your balls are smelling majestic before any Tinder date you may go on. You're also going to find the Crop Reviver Ball Toner Spray, a spray-on testy toner that's designed to make your balls smell irresistible. And be sure to add the refined cologne to your arsenal with the perfect package or performance package purchase. You get two free gifts with the Shed Travel Bag 
$39 added value and the patent high performance reducing chafing Manscaped boxers. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BERT at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tool to trim up your bush and make it the best bush trimming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BERT at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code BERT. It's 2021. If you still got bush, change that with Manscaped. Uh, I don't know about you, but I go to sleep every night listening to podcasts. I listen to The Revolution, The Revolutions with Mike, Dun- Mike Duncan's podcast. I listen to audiobooks. And if my wife's in bed, I have to have earbuds in. The best ones for this, and I'm not joking, are Raycon's wireless earbuds. They are tiny. They fit directly in your ear. And I have checked them up against the name brand ones, and they are fucking awesome. Look, whether or not you're catching up on your new favorite podcast, binging an audiobook like me while I sleep, because that's how I like to sleep, or powering through your workout with a pumped-up playlist, a pair of Raycons in your ears makes all the difference. No dangling wires or stems to get in the way. Raycon comes in a range of stylish colorways, but will always be comfortable in-ear fit for a more discreet look. And they really do sleek right up to your ear, like right in there. Raycons are built to perform anywhere and anytime with water and sweat-resistant construction and Bluetooth that pairs quickly and seamlessly. Here's what also I want to give you my what is the best part about these. And they have enough battery life for six hours of playtime. So you can unplug for a long time or at least until you fall asleep. And what's great is they're more accessible because they're only half the price of the premium earbuds. So I actually have four pairs. I keep two on the treadmill, two in my bedroom. When we start traveling again, one of those will go in my bag. You can have earbuds everywhere. So you never have to be like in, like in need of earbuds. Raycon's offering 15% off all their products for my listeners. And here's what you got to do to get it. Go to buyraycon.com slash burkcast. That's it. You'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order, so feel free to grab a pair and then a spare pair. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com slash birdcast. Buyraycon.com slash birdcast. Yeah, that's, uh, that, uh, it's interesting who we remember in history mm-hmm. in that in that you when you describe Custer, I go, yeah, it sounds like a fucking idiot. And then I'm like, oh, that's one of the few names I know. Sure, of course. Yeah, in fact, the people who get remembered, I'm sure like the number of fantastic human beings who are completely lost to history must be off the charts, you know, because yeah. there are most people who are sane, sweet human beings don't necessarily make history. You know, the stuff that make history is the batshit crazy, can you believe that ever happened kind of thing, you know? Like one of my absolute heroes, you know, when you were asking earlier about historical characters, one of my favorite, and I did a two-part series on this guy, and it's such a blast. Uh, Because after a while, uh, sorry, I'm going to lead up to it. But like after a while, what uh, what I was realizing, man, everyone I cover is that I like them, but they are psychopaths. You know, they are all killing (laughs) people. They are all doing they are all really like they are not happy lives. You know what I mean? They are interesting lives. They are not happy lives. And so I had a blast covering this guy. He was a Zen monk from the 1400s, CQ Sojourn. You know, which on the surface, I'm like, Zen monk from the 1400s, what the hell, you know, what's interesting about this guy? The guy had the best life. You know, his primary interests were drinking, women, and Zen, in no particular order. To him, they were all kind of one and the They all went with each other. And 
And just as a non-stop part in his life, in the process of having a blast and changing radically the face of Zen Buddhism in Japan, he has a humongous impact on uh, the entire cultural and art scene in Japan for generations to come. And, um, and he does it while having a blast. You know, his, uh, his poetry is like sex, sex, and more sex everywhere you turn. And he's just so fun. He's like Bugs Bunny. It's a Buddhist Bugs Bunny. You know, he's like into Buddhism, but he's like this trickster figure who's having a blast and is just... And I love stories like that because sometimes it's like, okay, for once, it doesn't have to be some deranged guy who has to murder 43 people to make history. He's just a guy having a great life, being pretty cool to other human beings, coming up with great ideas and living the life. I, I dig that. Oh, I, what, what was his name again? So his first name is E-Q-I-K-K-Y-U. E, what is I, it? It's I. Yeah. K-K-Y. You, okay, and um, and yeah, he's so. Funny. That, that sounds like a fucking reference code for an airline ticket, right? Exactly. He's like, <laughs> what the hell is that? He's like, IKKYU and BWZ seven three eight. Yes, that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, he's uh, so I had a blast with him because I was like, ah, oh, for once I get to tell a non bloody story. That's uh, and it's still exciting because you know, so often we think that excitement. Uh, it's all based on conflict. It's all based on drama. It's all based on war. And once in a while to have something that's not about that, I was like, ah, this is a breath of fresh air. This is nice yeah. for a change. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm obsessed right now with the formation of Europe. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't understand. I, I was, you know, it's funny. They don't, I really feel like my, I, I we had one, I had one history teacher, um, once who I think was a, I think he was a con artist, but, uh, <laughs> but he was, but he was start. fucking good. Like, and like, and like, he didn't teach us. He didn't teach us the stuff that you're supposed to be taught. Like we spent a whole semester on barnstorming. Mm-hmm. He was like obsessed with barnstormers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, but, uh, but I feel like all my other history teachers in a weird way kind of failed me because I, I didn't even realize, I didn't even realize that, the Europe we know today wasn't always that. That wasn't always Europe. Not at all. Yeah. At it's, all. Uh, I mean, even it, like, you know, where I come from, Italy, Italy really didn't exist as Italy until like the late 1800s, which is crazy. Because, you know, before it was all like separate little township, each one having their power, maybe a region was. All, but they, I mean, even, even if you go today to Italy, like certain things that I never understood growing up, now they make sense when I look at the history where. People absolutely hate each other from one town to the next. And maybe one town to the next is like 15 miles away. And you're like, you're the same fucking people. How are you even arguing? You know, you can throw a rock from one town to another and you hit it. Of course, you are the same people. What the hell are, what is this rivalry about? And then you realize that they were never Italy. They were, you know, Livorno and Pisa. And they went to war with each other 10,000 times. And they had different governments and all of that. So yes, they are next door to each other. But they were never part of the same uh, people, the same unity. They were something else. And so it's, it's pretty trippy. But yeah, Italy is completely like that. Each little place, they see themselves as totally different from the people 20 miles away. And yeah. it's, it's a result of the history. You know? I, I, want, is... I so badly feel like I missed an opportunity because at a period of time, I was a travel channel. I could kind of do whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I traveled the world extensively. 
Um, and I, you know, I don't regret it. I had a fucking blast, but it was a lot like being a stripper. I had a great time. I was making good money, <laughs> but like, I was like, there's no future in this. I need to yeah, get back yeah, and stand up. Now I look at Italy where we, we traveled a lot through Italy and drove through Italy. Mm-hmm. And that's and, scary in itself. Yes. Yeah. Oh, we, I mean, we did such cool shit in Italy and I just, I, I did not pay attention at all. Right. At all. Like, and I, I regret that so much because now I'm like, fuck, man, I may not get back to Europe for a while. Right. Like, but I, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand. Austria, Hungary mm-hmm. was, was one chunk. Sure. Germany was a chunk. Mm-hmm. France was a chunk. Spain was a chunk. Yep. And yep. then Russia. And then, and then all of a sudden they chopped it all up mm-hmm. and said, everything's everyone. And then, and then that was the fight is Hitler wanted to get back to Germanic people. And then wanted to conquer, and then Stalin's like, "Fuck it, we'll take it all." It was like, to, for when you growing up in Italy, mm-hmm. what was what were your history classes like? Did they talk about like we never yeah. learned anything other than what happened here? You know, that's what's funny though, because I think I was uh, I was just a pain in the ass. So you know, if it's this kind of stuff that everybody does, I don't want to know about it. I want to do something else. So of course, here in Italy, they talk to you about Italian history all day long, and I'm like. Shut up already. I don't care. Tell me about US. Tell me about South America. Tell me about Asia. Tell me. So I was paying a lot more attention to that. And Italy was like, oh, great. It's history. When you walk outside, you see all these thousand-year-old buildings, whatever. I don't care. I discover a lot of that a lot more after I moved to US. Because suddenly going back was exotic almost. It was like, whoa, this is not just you know the building down the road. This is something... And so I saw it for the first time through different eyes. And uh, I actually learned more about Italian history since I moved to U.S. than I did when I was in Italy because, and also, you know, the way they teach it. So, you know, they didn't tell you these stories in a way that sound, uh, that's exciting. Uh, i give you an example. I did a series at one point about Caravaggio, this Italian painter. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I remember telling Dan Carlin that, yeah, people really like the Caravaggio series. And Dan was like, really? I mean, Art is cool and all, but an Italian painter, what's the what's the hook there? And I was like, no, no, that it's don't think Italian painter, think Tupac. And Tupac being a painter in Italy in the 1600s rather than who he was, and that's your story. And that was like, okay, say no more. I got it already. <laughs> that makes sense, you know. Because Caravaggio was a gangster, literal gangster. You know, he killed a guy in a duel, was wanted for murder, and at the same time was painting probably the greatest paintings ever done, some of the most amazing art ever created. So one day he would be there painting these masterpieces. And when he's done, he goes to the tavern, pick a fight and stab a guy. And that's, and that's his life, basically, you know? So I was like, okay, that's, if they told it to me like that, I would have paid a lot more attention. If you just tell me, oh, look at the chiaroscuro technique. And now it's like, eh, I don't care as much, you know? Yeah. So it's, um, but yeah, Italian stuff is trippy. Like there's a lot of things even like in my family that I didn't pay attention to growing up. Oh, your, then, your parents were both like very learned people, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they nerdy bastards who read too many books. Yes. But, the, but you know, even like, like, for example, World War One. like I remember my mom's grandfather. I remember him growing up, like I seen him a few times as a kid before he died. And he had this like, 
eye patch like a pirate. And I was like, oh, that's wild. And they were like, oh, yeah, the war, something, something. And I'm like, okay, some old dude with a patch who gives me candies or something. You know, I didn't pay much attention. And then I found out that the guy was the captain in this one unit of the Italian army. That's the most insane unit I've ever heard of, this group called the Arditi. The Arditi were their main weapons. They, didn't, they barely used guns. They had uh, hand grenades and daggers. And their job was to just swim usually across the river because there was a river between the Austrian and uh, swim across the river, run into the enemy trenches, and then in the trenches, just stab everybody. And their thing was like, um, yeah, we either win or we die. You know, they took insane casualties. They had these, uh, you know, they were, their tactics were not exactly designed for self-preservation. They were just <laughs> balls to the wall, completely insane guys who, for whom World War One, that you figure, you know, technologically and big, was fought mostly with a dagger. So that's a really up close and personal. And uh, then I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, that was, you know, my man's grandfather was doing this crazy shit. Wow. Why didn't they tell me the story in that fashion? Again, I would have paid more attention or... Or even, you know, my grandma, I remember my mom's mom, she, um, you know, when I grew up, she was this uh, kind of cranky lady, sweet to me, but fairly, you know, always had that depressed vibe about her. And I was always like, what's her problem? You know, because it's your sweet old grandma, but she's, you know, this tiny little thing and you don't think much about it. And then I started finding out all these stories where, like, during World War II, she was um, part of the resistance. And one day they caught her boyfriend and, uh, you know, the fascists chopped him up into pieces and delivered him into a luggage in front of her house. And she just went really hardcore. And from that point on, she just made it a mission to just bomb the living fuck out of them. And so she would spend, she spent some of her teenage years carrying bombs and planting them and blowing up fascists and Nazis. And that was her life. And I was like, no wonder she's a little depressed. You know, no wonder she's got some issues, you know, it's like, even because, you know, unlike the typical war experience where war is out there, it's like there's a battlefield out there, you know, a soldier goes away from home to the battlefield. The war for her was right outside of her house, you know, it was urban fighting in the street. You know, you're keeping this cover that you're uh, whatever, some teenage girl, and then you go out and do all these actions with uh, the people with you. And, and so, you know, everywhere she went in Milan, where I grew up, there were memories to that, you know, like I remember taking me to play basketball as a kid at this one place. And then later I read that that exact arena was where a bunch of her friends had been captured and, uh, and executed. Holy and I was like, Jesus. So this poor lady, every time she took her grandson playing basketball and is watching him playing with some other 10 year olds, she's probably reliving that shit. She's probably seen her friends lined up against the wall, getting shot right over that wall over there. Not some distant, no, right there. Like the visuals are all around you everywhere you go all the time. And like, that's some heavy PTSD because it's not that you, you're ever away from it. You know, it's under your eyes all your life. And so I was like, okay, that changes my vision, both of her as a person and, and just, I don't know, history it makes it a lot more real. You know what I mean? It makes it a lot more grounded. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think I'd ever realized until you said that, but the concept of me, the concept of there being a, a war in my front yard, in my neighborhood, mm -hmm. 
is is not i just i go that's not real i mean even when even when the riots were happening in the summer uh the over the black lives matters and they were shutting down freeways i was like yeah but it won't show up to my house like it's it's that's in beverly hills or that's in there i think they were riding in on rodeo drive or they were riding wherever you know wasn't like i said i'm not a big fucking politics guy i wasn't really following the riots but they weren't coming to my house yeah exactly I don't think, I think, yeah, that would be that. I mean, when, as soon as you said that, I, all I could wrap my head around is the fact that World War One and World War Two, World War Two probably even more so just had to be so devastating for Europe because yep. it was fought in everyone's front yards and it, yep. and the casualties, like when you said you're, I bet the casualties, so many fucking men died that all of a Huge. sudden you're left with a bunch of spinsters like mm-hmm. any chick that was like 30 was like, well, I guess I'll never get married. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. I'm sure that some troll looking guy in 1946 could have found some supermodel because he was like, hey, I have a pulse that beats most of the other guys out there. So that's I got a that's pulse, a win. five feet and an asthma. I didn't yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a win right there. Yeah, no, it's insane. It really is. I mean, there's um, some other guy like uh, he's the father of my current stepfather and he was um he was a partisan leader and he was telling me the story that like just a few years ago he published this book of memoirs in italy and he was doing this tour of you know presenting the book and some really old 90 year old lady shows up and he's like can i talk to you at the end he's like sure of course and she's like you know what um you killed my sister and he's like do tell and he's like, well, and she tells the story and he's like, yeah, I remember, you know, unfortunately, your sister was going to tell where we were. She was on her way to tell the Nazis where we were. And if she reached them, we were all going to die. And so, yeah, we had to kill her. And it sucks. I felt bad. You know, I wasn't happy about it. You know, it's not that I was, yay, we killed this woman. So cool. But if we didn't, we would have all died. And the lady was like, you know, I get it. I'm not, you know, I'm not blaming you personally. I understand the logic. I just, it's, and, you know, their whole point at the end was pretty much just uh, civil war sucks, man. Civil war is just a horrible, there are no winners in a civil war. You know, there are just different degrees of losers. Everybody loses something in a civil war. And, and, you know, in this case, you know, the poor lady, who knows, maybe maybe she was a Nazi sympathizer, maybe not. You know, there were a bunch of people who did stuff like that because maybe they had a relative in a concentration camp and they were hoping that by helping they would get clemency for their relative or they were not all bad people. You know, it's not like they were the other side, they're all these evil, terrible people. It wasn't like that. And so it's, uh, that makes it harder because it's so much easier, you know, if you're in a war and you think, oh, those guys are monsters, they are the evil Nazis. And some are, but some are not. Some is like some poor bastard who got conscripted and would rather be home with his family. And, uh, and you still got to kill them. And it's, it gets intense. Wow. I, I, that is... Uh, you know, I, my dad has his father kept a journal in World War II, and his father stormed beaches in Normandy, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, he sent me photocopies of the journal, and I have them. But it's interesting. I what what I was like, he didn't talk about like you know what's his name died or whatever. He was mm-hmm. just talking about how fucking cold it was. <laughs> I'm sure. Cold it was. I'm sure. Yes. 
And like yeah. he, went, he went to shave and he'd put water in his helmet and he had to break it with his razor because it would freeze over immediately. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I think you would remember that kind of cold for sure. Yeah. It's um what like what 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 part of history fascinates you the most? Like what time period? What is the one place you always find yourself going back to? Because as you you mentioned South America, and I went, I literally was like, I don't know anything about South America. Right, right, and, right. And, and I bet I would fucking love that shit. All I know about South America, some racist politician I had dinner with one time, and he was I he was shitting on, I don't know who he was shitting on. Maybe maybe Mexicans, I forget. Right. He, and he was like, you know, they never they didn't discover the wheel until like the 1900s. <laughs> right. and I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, they yeah. And, it, and what's crazy is that they were they had it, but their kids were using it as a toy. So, yeah, that's actually yeah, a true story. Is that real? <laughs> yeah. I is mean, real? it kind of makes sense because you know, if you go through big chunks of Mexico as jungle, so yeah, they did have a wheel, but you know, it, it doesn't help you to have a wheel if you don't have roads. And good luck having giant big roads through the jungle. So yeah. it's like doesn't matter. Yeah, you can know about the wheel. Doesn't matter if the if the environment doesn't favor it, you know. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's pretty wild. I guess for me, the the big ones are. What do I go back to all the time? Um, one that I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated with prehistory. I'm super fascinated, and we know so little about it, so that makes it more. So what of, what is prehistory? Uh, I guess you know when we were hunters and gatherers before, let's say before 10,000 years ago. So before you see people starting to farm, you know, start farming and settle down in permanent villages when, you know, you live as hunters and gatherers. Uh, that, that word is so fascinating to me because it's like, it's the most time that we've been around as a species. We have been that. And, you know, the last 10,000 years are a dot compared to everything that happened before. So everything that shapes us as human beings is... Um, what the hell is my dog doing? That's I thought that was your daughter Sorry. for a second. Yeah, no, there's <laughs> just like my dog is doing some crazy stuff. Sorry. <laughs> crazy dog. I don't even know if he's a dog. He looks more like a rabbit. But in any case, the, so the thing is, that's what makes us us, you know, that's in our DNA, that like living in small tribes, you know, 20 to 100 people kind of thing in this close-knit community, moving across the land, doing all that. That's something that is at the roots of who we are as people. And I think it shapes so many of our instincts, so much of the human psychology and stuff. I mean, even think about something basic, like, you know, like all kids are scared of the dark. And you're like, what the hell is there to be scared of? It's the dark. And then you remember, wait, the dark was when all the predators came around. And all you had to keep you safe from these giant monsters wanting to feed on your flesh was a sharpened stick and a little fire. I can see why there are very good reasons to be afraid of the dark. You know? <laughs> By the like, way, that would not calm my daughter Isla down. Listen, right? this makes sense. You're scared of the dark because that's when the predators show up. You can't defend yourself. Your eyes are closed. You're not aware. They just grab you and rip the skin. She'd be like, this isn't help, Dad. <laughs> yeah, it's a terrible story. I think it's like when that was reality. That was your life. It's like, yeah, let's hope that the fire holds. And let's hope it scares them enough. And if not, let's rely on this pointed stick to take down that saber-toothed tiger. 
that's uh, unsettling kind of thought. And, uh, and so that interests me because that one is, you know, there are no states, there is no society at large, there's your tribe, there's your group of friends, there's your extended family, and that's life. And that's all you know. And, um, and I'm really interested in trying to picture what that must have been like, you know, what that word must have uh, felt and, you know, during COVID right now, I made the mistake of getting myself a PlayStation 4. So I started playing nonstop Far Cry Primal, which is exactly that. It's like a video game design for me because it's all about like prehistory stuff. Yeah. Uh, I can spend hours, even when I finish the game, I'm like, who cares? I'll play the game again. It's just too <laughs> fun to be in that world. It's like too... Yeah. Man, I'm not sure if it was fun for real. Like when you were there and the Cyber 2 Tiger was trying to eat you, probably fun was not the first word on the list, but, uh, but it's a faci- to me, it fascinates me for sure. And another one is that time, sort of 1700s, North America, the meeting of all these different cultures, you know, a bunch of different Native American tribes. And you got the French and the British and uh, African American, you know, Africans taken from Africa, shipped over here, you know, this kind of melting pot of cultures, all trying to jockey for, you know, find their niche into this. I find that very fascinating. And also, we, you know, that's the exact opposite of prehistory. Whereas prehistory, we know so little about it, that one, we know so much about it. And, the, and yet, it wasn't that long ago. You know, it's historical time. You're talking about maybe 200 years, something like that. And so historically speaking, it's the other day, and yet it's a completely different universe. It might as well be 30,000 years ago because it's so unlike the way we live today. And, yeah, um, it, it really, I mean, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I wonder if we were, this is probably a, a stupid thing to think, but I wonder if we weren't more open-minded then than we are now because everyone was, for the, they were establishing the country that we live in now. Mm-hmm. And the ideals that they had then were like, were still like, you know, black people still. Sure. It fucking sucked if you're anything but white. Of course. <laughs> but, but it's, you know, I wonder, I wonder if, I wonder how enjoyable history is for a black dude to read. Right. That's pretty rough. Yes. Like no, they're not in any of the good stories. Like. Right. It's kind of like telling somebody, uh, let's study some Jewish histories. Like, oh. Fuck, that's a little like heavy. Talking, yeah. going over history with the black guys, like showing pictures from your vacation to him. Like, right. hey, yes, man, that was me. I was water, I was I was wake, wakeboarding. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, and I think that's the other thing when you look at history. There's so I mean, it's a miracle that people still make kids. <laughs> it's like <laughs> history is fucking brutal, man. It's like, how did we survive all this insanity of, you know, plagues and bloodshed and civil wars and this, that, and there's so much ugliness in history that uh, it's pretty heavy. You know, sometimes you're like, man, that's why I tell you like the EQ stuff. I I get, it's a breath of fresh air because once in a while it's like to be reminded that, okay, you can still have a good life. You can still enjoy not everything in history is gloom and doom and drama and it's like okay okay there's also that side but i think the stuff that makes the history book i mean not that that stuff is not real of course it's real but you know you don't remember about the three years of peace in which people just were banging their neighbor you remember about the war when they all tore each other apart and so it's um 
I think that there is a bit of a bias in history to focus on the drama more than on the fun daily life part of it all. Yeah, I'm wondering when Germany is going to come back for another stab at uh, world domination. They got it, right? I mean, it's just in <laughs> their blood. At some point, you're like, okay, it happened here, it happened here, it happened here, but this time it's clearly not going to happen. <laughs> we can do it this time, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. And, yeah. and I think that's also what's funny to think that, you know, on one end, you learn a lot from history. On the other end, the world that we live in today is so damn different from even just 100 years ago yeah. that, you know, you wonder how much, you know, how many of the lessons of the past still apply in a con. I mean, human nature doesn't change, but the context has changed so much. They are like, does that stuff still apply in this kind of context? And some stuff does and some doesn't, you know, but it's clearly a completely different, you know, there's probably more similarity between what was happening in a thousand years ago and what was happening 200 years ago than there is from what was happening, you know, the last 200 years have changed so radically so quickly that it's it's insanity. You know, it's, it's hard to even reconcile, like put it together in your mind. Here's what I love, and I didn't notice this until we all started wearing uh, stuff over our face. I love a good face shield when I'm outdoors. It helps with my allergies. Oddly enough, it kind of pulls out all the allergens in the air, and I then can run better outdoors. I can't do it with one of those masks because I don't want to look like a freaking lunatic. I love a good face shield, and the SA company has all the protective gear you're going to need to brave the elements and explore more every day like their multi-use face shields. This is great. They're UPF 30, lightweight and breathable, the perfect piece of protective gear for your next adventure. I like throwing them on my, I love you just put them on your neck. You don't have to think about it. And then sometimes when I run, I'll throw it on my head and do it here so that I sweat this area out. <laughs> I'm a fucking lunatic. They've got some great designs. I love black camo, anything black camo, blue camo, black camo is my favorite. SA face shields are perfect for your next outdoor adventure, whether you're working in the sun or the cold or going on a hunt or a hike or a fish or a ski or a ride or a bike. Did I say bike? Dozens of eye-catching designs for both men, women, and children. And the shields offer breathable protection from everything from outdoor, the outdoors may throw at you. Sun, wind, cold, insects, dust. That's what's going on at this house right now, a lot of dust. And if I'm working out there, I throw on one of those face shields, I don't have to worry about dust getting in my lungs and having an asthma attack that night. Because I'm a fat fuck! One size fits all. Machine washable, lifetime guarantee, zero risk. They believe in giving back for the men and women who put themselves on the front lines every day. So they got a partnership with Operation Gratitude where they donate well over 100,000 face shields to those on the front line in the pandemic. And for every order, SA donates one face shield to a first responder. You're going to get a great deal on an incredible product plus chance to give back. Stay protected outdoors because right now you can get an insane deal. Buy one, get four for free. A $150 value for just $24.99. So go to safishing.com slash Bert to get five face shields for the price of one. Plus a lifetime warranty and free returns if you're not satisfied. That's safishing.com slash Bert. Yeah, I'm curious what what when when we look at what they're doing today with like um uh the Confederate monuments that mm -hmm. are all over this country. It's interesting when I went to Russia, uh, they had, t they had torn down all the Lenin and Stalin statues mm -hmm. and yeah. I was a little bummed. 
I was a little bummed that I didn't get to see one of them. I right. I, I kind of wanted to see one, you know, of like, course. of course, but I'm wondering from a historical standpoint, how you, how you feel about them taking down statues like that. And is that something that just always happens? Yeah, is that- totally. Totally. I mean, it's like when people fall, when people fall out of fashion, typically it happens in pretty hardcore way and then people want to get rid of them they are like fuck these people we hate them they are terrible they need to go and that's why i think there's actually a story that's pretty funny when at the end of well it doesn't start funny because it's like this yugoslavian civil war that's horrible it's like horrendous things done to one another and at the end of uh, the yugoslavian civil war when they start breaking up in all these different nations they wanted to set up a statue in uh, town i think it's monster i can't remember right now but they were they were planning this public statue and you know nobody could agree because you had serbs you had croats you had these different ethnicities they were shooting each other until the day before and they did not have heroes in common you know and one guy went like time out what about bruce lee and they were like yeah we think bruce lee and they were like yeah we think bruce lee too yeah bruce lee is a hero okay let's have a statue to bruce lee we all like him you know i'm like I think if if you're gonna have public statues, I think it's yeah. a safe bet to go with the you know the, those kind of people that everybody like, right? Yeah. Because yeah. if you go with politicians or you go with uh, you know those kind of historical figure, inevitably they are somebody's hero and they are somebody's villain, and they are always gonna have these arguments, and people are gonna be pissed, and it's understandable, and you get it. So. So I think the policy is if you're going to have statues, make Bruce Lee statues everywhere. That's the way yeah. to go. <laughs> oh, no, no one, no one holds up. Uh, we were, my daughter Isla did a, did a, I, I'm certain I must have told this in a joke or something. I, I don't know where this came out, but um, my daughter had to do a book, or a book report on Andrew Jackson. <laughs> and so I, I decided just to listen to one of Rogan's podcasts about Andrew Jackson with her. And her only takeaway, she looked at me and I said, so what do we learn about Andrew, Andrew Jackson? And she goes, dad, he was a fucking savage. <laughs> Pretty much. Yes. <laughs> like fucking kill, yeah. threatened to kill his vice president. I think yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He killed some dude in a duel before he became president. He, yeah, he was not a guy you mess around with. He was scary. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, I, um, I'm curious, what books would you recommend to people listening? What books would you recommend that are like good? Because I, I have huge holes mm-hmm. in my in my history that I I think the fun of it is tying things together. Like I, that's what yeah. I'm enjoying is getting is it all started at World War II and and I think the realization of the just how isolated japan was mm-hmm. from the world instilled uh really kind of a, a, su- a su- supremacy in their head of that they yeah. were better than everyone and yep. and that and i i've been to japan i love japan i think mm-hmm. japan's one of the coolest places i've ever been in the world it's such it is such a culture fuck yep the fact that how silent it is there how mm-hmm. quiet it is <laughs> yeah the, I mean, it is and then to read this and go Oh, they, they believed that we were animals. Like we were uh-huh. actual animals. They believed right. Chinese people were animals. The Koreans were animals. Like yep. they, and, and I was like, they're, they've got a lot in common with fucking Hitler. Like no wonder they saw eye to eye. 
Yeah, that's trippy because again, you, you know, you look at Japan today and it's such a cool country and the people are yeah. so polite and it's so, so you're like, okay, that's as good a place as you're going to find. And then you look at like not a million years ago, World War II, their ideology had literally brainwashed most of the nation into believing some absolutely hateful, awful shit. And that really speaks to the power of brainwashing. Like, you know, it's the same as like when you study cults, when you see like people were fairly reasonable until day one and you look at them two years later and you're like, wow, the lenses through which they view reality are so far removed from what you see as reality that you're like, how do you even begin to have a conversation about that? You know, And they did that to the whole country. I mean, they did that to the whole country was brainwashed into that thousands of people would jump off a cliff when they saw American soldiers. Yeah, exactly. And so you're like, wow, that's some serious brainwashing. You know, that's some, yeah, that's scary. That Because, yeah, you look at, yeah, the story of Japan in World War II is so brutal, nasty, and ugly. And then, you know, you compare to Japan today and you're like, are they even the same people? It's like, they look like completely different kind of humanity. And yet he's probably people's grandparents and great grandparents. Oh, 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 there's dudes. There's dudes. And by the way, this is why I have a, I'm trying to work on a bit forever about why people shouldn't read books. (laughs) I do feel like, I really do feel like I am the intelligence where it's, I'm super engaging. I'm super, super, super personable. I'm really entertaining. But if I get just the right amount of knowledge, I can abuse it and in the wrong way. Like, and, and it's, and it's, and it's not the point that they were, it's not the reason that I wrote the book wasn't for a guy like me to get my hands on it and then spout off one fact, one fact, uh, I love that. Japanese soldiers ate American soldiers yes. and I turned the whole country into cannibals. The whole yes. country was cannibals because five soldiers in Chichijima ate yeah, yeah, yeah. American soldiers. Right. But, uh, but, um, I, I forgot what I was going to say, but, uh, but oh, yeah, we were talking about the, cause I was saying grandparents and you were saying, oh, no, one, of the, guys, guys, one yeah. of the guys that ate one of the fucking guys was in like the rotary club in San Francisco in like the seventies. Wow. He was like, Jesus. like I, there's, I'm like, what the, f-? there were dudes who like got done the war and then came over to America to live a better life. And you're yeah. like, you're like, fuck. Like it is, it is amazing. China seems to me, and it's so funny. I can't even tell you how many times I've been on stage irresponsibly talking about just anything Asian, anything Asian. I used to have a joke. This is how little I knew about the world. Uh-huh. I used to have a joke. I, this was not a joke. It was a true story. I didn't know that Japanese people couldn't understand Chinese people at right. all. Right. I thought they were the same language. I thought it was right. like, Boston and New York, like, hey, pack ahead. Go yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're totally different languages. No yeah. wonder they're fucking war. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But China, it seems to me, has been fucking beaten up all through history. Yeah. And, and when nobody else is doing it, they usually do it to themselves. So they have these internal wars that are bloody as hell. Yeah, pretty intense stuff. Yeah, Chinese history is not uh, a Disney movie, that's for sure. Right. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, I, yeah, you're right, man. Yeah, there's so much crazy stuff out there, and uh, and Dude, yeah, when you Korea, look at that Korea part beat, of the world, Japan beat fucking Russia, yep. and then white people made them give it back. Yeah, yeah, Who that's. What the- is that? I mean, in fact, that's, I think, is one of the things where it's like, you look at Japan in World War II, were they assholes? Yes. Were they royal assholes? Yes. It was terrible, absolutely. 
but you look at the history behind it and you're like, you kind of get it. You know, you have the, you know, for 200 and because what happened was like, you know, from the beginning of the 1600s to the mid 1800s, Japan sees that pretty much every Asian country got colonized by Europeans. And they're like, we don't want that. And the way it usually starts is it starts with missionaries and traders, which seems innocent enough. And they look around in Japan and they're like, okay, we have missionaries, we have traders. And in every other Asian country, the next thing that arrives is that they colonize us and we're fucked. So they're like, okay, they squash the missionaries, they do a brutal anti-Christianity campaign, they limit trade, and they isolate. And they're like, for 250 years, they managed to have it pretty good with a period of relative peace. They remain independent. But they fall behind technologically because, you know, you don't fight a war for 250 years. You don't engage with much of the outside world. And so when in the 1850s, the U.S. knock on the door and say, hey, guys, we want to trade with you and we want to have access to your ports. And Japan is like, fuck no, we don't want that. And uh, the U.S. guys are like, it's unfortunate that you feel that way because we have big, <laughs> huge cannons on these ships. And unless you open your ports, we're just going to blow you out of existence. And the Japanese realize that they don't have a leg to stand on. You know, what are you going to do? Send a samurai from the 1600s to fight a modern? They are going to get crushed. So they're like, okay, guys, sure, come on in. We would be delighted to trade with you. But they are pissed, right? They got slapped in the face. They got humiliated. It's terrible. Then when they start copying what the West is doing and they become really powerful really quick, they defeat Russia and then they get screwed over in the peace negotiations. So they are mad. You know, there is this sense of wounded national pride, of need for revenge, which is exactly the shit that is going to nourish the hyper-nationalism in Japan that's then going to lead to the absolute fanaticism that leads to World War II. So you get it, you know, it doesn't justify all the horrible things they later did as a government, but you kind of understand where it comes from. And, yeah. And the other, yeah, it sucks, but I get it. Yeah, it, I wish I had watched The Crown with you. I was watching it with my wife who knows nothing. And <laughs> I'm sitting here going like, wait, 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 wait. And I didn't realize, I worked with this Australian comedian, Steve Hughes, very talented, mm -hmm. but he was obsessed with uh um uh it wasn't imperialism uh it was it was what the the fact that that britain had gone through and colonized everything. of course of course was, and yes. i think it was imperialism he was like I, I it was disgusted by it right and i and i i had no frame of reference i didn't even understand what he was talking about i was like i was like what do you mean <laughs> Like, one of my favorite, yeah, one of my favorites of that. I did a little bit of this story is uh, the Opium War in China in the eighteen hundreds, where uh, you know the the UK, the Britain wants a lot more goods from China than China wants from the UK. So they have a trade deficit. They have to you know spend a bunch of their money goes to China. They get supplies, but they would like to be able to trade something. Except China doesn't want anything from the UK. So they're like, hmm, you know what? We got these great opium fields in India, and we're just going to flood China with opium because we'll just turn, create a nation of addicts, and then we are not going to have a trade deficit. And China's like, wait, no, opium is illegal for us. It's bad for our people. And the UK is like, fuck do we care? It's not our people. <laughs> and, we need, uh, and so you have literally 
Queen Victoria, you know, the British Queen becomes the El Chapo of the era. She's Pablo Escobar, you know, is actually not even. Pablo Escobar would have dreamed to have the might of the British Empire uh, to run his drug business, but that's what it does. So you have the Britain send the Navy to start a war so that they keep flooding China with opium when China is saying, please no. And you're like, tough shit, we got to sell our opium, but you guys are out of luck. And you're like, wow. Yeah. Then you look at the history of drug laws after that, and you're like, really? You're telling people what they can and cannot do after you went to two fucking wars to be able to flood a nation in opium? That's a little weird. But yeah, um, but yeah it's a crazy story to think of like, yeah, the British Queen as the biggest drug lord in history is not the most obvious thing. But then when you look at the evidence, it's like, Pretty much, you know, yeah. you know, the cartels are amateurs compared to what the East Indian Company was doing in the 1800s. They're so like, okay, that changes the perspective a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I, I get, I'm shocked at just how brutal you have to be to be a leader. Like mm-hmm. you have to be brutal. You have to be, you know, I, 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 I read a little bit about um, the Korea about Korea. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and mostly about the Kims, mm-hmm. um, and the the big ones, the yeah. Kim Jong Un, Kim Jong Sun, Kim Jong all of them, and and you know the one that we have now, the one that the the little portly guy, I I actually kind of this is going to sound so bad. I this is fucking one of the most ignorant statements you're ever going to hear me come out of my mouth. I felt like it was his people's fault that he had to do what he had to do. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking North Koreans. It's, yeah, uh, you know, it's, the poor guy has to be a dictator. What can you expect? Yeah. But if you think about it, so, so uh, hypothetically says, Hey man, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to loosen the reins. Okay. Right. I want you guys to have some freedom. The first thing they do is kill him. The of first course. thing they of do course. is murder. Yeah. In the most, horrific fashion possible yes. they are going to kill him in a way that is going to be the most unpleasant way to die so he kind of has to keep his fucking yeah. foot on their throat you guys are forcing me i don't want to be a dictator but you know i didn't like what my dad was doing i didn't yeah. like what my grandfather was doing but if i'm not them you will fuck me up yeah 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 that's funny i like that but that's a great bit you should you should run with that because oh, that's a great what one what sucks about history is there's no there's no taking this newfound obsession I have and morphing it into stand-up because people do not give a fuck. And they don't know shit, right? Just as uh, Americans are probably the same as me as like, is like they're listening to this podcast, like writing down notes going like, cause everyone, I mean, I think any in that, in the circle that me and you r- run in uh, Rogan, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Joey Diaz, Duncan Trussell, uh, Dan Carlin, like yeah. that. I think people are interested in history. But to be able to fold it into material that would, is going to work on stage, it's kind of hard. I'll, yes. I'll be lucky. I'll be like, I'll tell you what bits I have. Um, I hold on. Uh, I have to have some bit. Hold on. Something. It's got to be about World War Two. I'm obsessed with or World War One. I'm a fucking obsessed with World War One. I like though. I like though the reluctant dictator Kim as a poor victim of his people who they are so unreasonable and he has to be a dictator. I. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's a good one. The only bit that I have that it's, is going to come out is the reason why you shouldn't read. Because if my daughters hear me bring up Japan, they're like, Dad, please stop. Shut they're up. Like, already. Right. Five people, eight people. Enough. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, it's five, but okay, I got it. But you know, right. it's like it's funny, the just the the littlest thing like kamikaze, I didn't realize the definition of that is this wind that mm-hmm. the wind that they won a war because of it. And like yeah. what was some some wind change? Yeah, when the the Mongols were trying to invade them, which as you well know from then, Mongols were not pleasant customers to have knocking on your door. So they got <sighs> really lucky. But yeah, twice. Two different times. The Mongols launch the ships. They are trying to get there, and these giant waves wipe out their fleet. Yeah. So it's, and that is where Kamikaze yeah, came from. They really it's, hit the jackpot. Yeah. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden they're throwing fucking methamphetamine up the noses of their of their young soldiers, going get in the plane. Yep. That wind. You're that wind. You yep. that plane are the wind. And it was like it makes sense now. Then you're like <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, it's uh, since you like uh, that time period, there's uh, one of the books that I read that was most enjoyable to read. Because, you know, a lot of history is not really that enjoyable to read. It's kind of dry and tedious and it's interesting when you dig out all the good info. Yeah. But the process is not necessarily fun. There's one called uh, Ghost Soldiers. It's about World War II. It's the story of, uh, you know, it's the end of World War II when there are the American survivors of the Bataan that march. So they are these people who have been in the Philippines in a prison camp for like a couple of years and maybe even three years by that point. And they are, you know, Japanese knows that they are losing the Philippines. They are about to retreat. And so everybody expects they are going to kill all the prisoners before they retreat. And so what um, this book follows the story of what essentially is like a a special forces before there were special forces kind of thing where they organized this raid behind enemy line to trying to go save the prisoners at this camp and to storm this camp written in such it feels like you're reading fiction but it's not it's all absolutely documented and and that to me is the best history when you it doesn't feel like you're reading history like it feels like somebody's telling you the most amazing story and typically this is funny, but typically historians don't write those books. It's usually journalists who are really good at telling a story, yeah. who do the homework like a historian, but they are not historians by profession. They are storytellers by profession. And so they know how to tell a story usually better than most, uh, than most historians. There are exceptions, but that tends to be the pattern. And that one is one of those books. You read it and it's like, it's a movie. It's, uh, it's phenomenal. The whole thing from A to Z, you read this story and it's so engaging. Yeah, give me a couple other books. Ghost Soldiers is one. Ghost Soldiers is great. Yeah, people, um, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, that's all I'm doing these days. Yeah, one that I dig, uh, it, it may give you a different twist on the Native American thing. This is follows uh, a Lakota family from like the 1870s down to like the 1990s. So you follow the same, fa- you see all the major events in history through their eyes. And it's called The Dull Knives of Pine Ridge. So again, it's The Dull Knives of Pine Ridge. That's okay. really close. It may be my favorite history book because again, it's written like a story. It's written in this way that you're invested in the characters. You There's humor. There are moments where you're cracking up, where these guys are just, you know, and some people read it and they're like, oh, it's so sad. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Then I'm like, oh, okay, because you never read a book about Native history. Yeah, there's a lot of sad shit. I, I take that stuff for granted because I've heard it 10,000 times, but I actually find it funny because there are like a million jokes in there. These guys find a way 
they find humor in the darkest circumstances. So there are these tales where, you know, even they'll tell some atrocious story about being on this, you know, starving and running away. And they're like, remember when grandpa had to boil his own moccasins to be able to survive? Ha ha, that was funny. Can you believe he ate his own moccasins? And, you know, and they crack up and they have this, and it's fun. You know, it makes it more human. It makes yeah. it, it doesn't make it a whiny story about, oh, poor us, they stole our land and the buffalo. You know, that stuff is there, but it's through a real human feel to it, where there's humor, there's other stuff going on, and that's the backdrop, and those things are happening. But uh, I find, you know, as far as how it's written, so engaging. Kind of like Ghost Soldiers. You know, you get Ghost Soldiers is World War II. This one is more of a Native American one. But it's very rare to find books like that, where you really yeah. get, uh, where it feels like you're watching the greatest movie I've ever seen kind of thing. You know, I read, uh, like even others, like I read a biography of Caravaggio, for example. Of who? Let me see if I remember. The Italian painter I was telling oh, yeah, you about, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Tupac of the 1600s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that one is called, uh, it's called A Life Sacred and Profane. Uh, Caravaggio, so it's alive, sacred, and profane, um, and then his name, Caravaggio. And it's a good book. It's a really good book. But that's already a little more history, you know? So it's uh, it's way better than the typical history book. It's not as dry, it's more engaging, but it starts going in that direction. So it's... uh, I think that's what makes... That's kind of what gives me a job, or people like Dan or Mike Duncan, is that we do the legwork you know we read uh, 20 books that really would i recommend any of them probably not because they are really damn tedious but we are able to then dig through all this mud to find the speckles of gold in a story and then you put it together with the other speckles of gold and now you have something cool and it's uh, you know somebody who doesn't want to read 20 tedious books can hear a story and it actually sounds engaged um i think that's sort of what uh what we do with the historical podcast is try to get rid of all the heaviness of history for people who are not specialists, where I don't have to show you, I don't have to go through 30 pages of explaining why this piece of evidence is accurate. Great, but it's tedious for the average reader. You want somebody who knows how to do it, who already does it, and then tell you a cool story with it, and that makes it easier. So, you guys do. You guys do a fantastic job. I mean, I really, really, really enjoy it. And I, and I, I mean, and especially in a pandemic where you're not leaving your house. And for me, right. I'm not really drinking. I drank last night, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm not really drinking. And so I get, I, my favorite thing is I, we watch Netflix, you know, I watched, yep. uh, this thing on the czars and Nef- on Netflix, I watched the crown on Netflix and then I go and get in bed and throw in, you know, I haven't, I, it's funny. I haven't listened to Dan in a while. Dan was like my first mm-hmm guy that i was like i I think i think everyone must have listened to him talk about uh fucking uh genghis khan yeah that's one of the best series ever that is that's perfect historical podcast it is as good as it gets i remember showing that i remember showing that to my dad Mm -hmm. and him not understanding what like he was like and my dad's a big my dad's a big fan have you ever heard of uh, james mishner no i don't know so james mishner is um he is a fiction nonfiction writer so like what he does is he takes historical he takes a character that's fictional mm-hmm. and then takes them through actual history mm, cool. and then explains cool, the history cool. so so my dad is obsessed with Mishner. i think mm-hmm. Mishner's done writing books 
Um, I, I don't even know if he's still alive. And but if he is, love to have you on the podcast, James. The uh, but um, and so my we went we went um, through the Caribbean when I was in ninth in twelfth grade going into college. But we took a family trip, and my dad read Mister, and and it was a story about these guys going from island to island and it was and my dad was fucking fascinated mm-hmm. like i showed him uh hardcore history and he i don't think he understood it he was like what is i don't understand what this is like you know right. my dad still can't wrap his head around a podcast and sure. i'm like of course trust me yeah. it's like an audio book but not an audio like it's hard yeah. to explain to a 75 year old man of course you know and and then he's like, well, wh- where do I get this? When's it on? And you're like, oh, fuck. Never <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I mean, even that is funny, right? Just not that long ago, podcasts didn't even exist. It's like, you know, Dan started, what, 2007 or eight, and he's a pioneer. And it's just, it's crazy. It's so funny. But, I, n- uh, I, n- I never knew you as much of a, I, I, it's, I just knew you as like on Joe's podcast, really interesting, into MMA, into like, like, just more i i think it was a, the drunken taoist mm-hmm. sure yeah was was the pod was your yeah. podcast at the time and then yeah and then history on fire i'm like fucking obsessed yeah i after a while i was like okay i'm slow but eventually i catch on it's like okay i am already doing podcasts did i teach history for a living uh, my favorite podcast is dan carlin's hardcore history how about i put two and two together and i actually do a history podcast that oh, seems to be god but you know what's funny is like from the moment I decided to do a history podcast to when I released the first episode, probably a year and a half went by because I wanted to have enough episodes lined up so that I didn't put out an episode and then see you guys in a year. You know, I wanted to have enough of a lead on it. Mm-hmm. And man, that's when I realized how much work goes into it. You know, to create like a two-hour podcast takes probably 150, 200 hours of work. And so you're like, Man, this is a full time job. This is which ones? Uh, which ones do you have lined up coming out and getting ready to come out? So I will actually do a Bruce Lee series. I'm super excited about that. Oh, wow, that's gonna um, be fun. Uh, I can't wait on that. There's a story that's crazy, and if you're digging World War One, this is a really fascinating story. That uh, again, it's like history from where I'm from. I should have known it, and I didn't know crap about it. At the end of World War One, there's this guy who was probably the most famous poet of the era, Gabriele D'Annunzio, who was a straight-up playboy. He was dating all the hottest women in Europe. You know, people think poet, and he's like, who the hell cares about poetry in that sense? But he was a rock star. You know, he stopped traffic everywhere he went kind of stuff. So it's different for, I really think, more rocker star than poet. And yeah. He was a veteran of World War I, and at the end of World War I, what happens is that uh, Italy, many Italians were expecting to get some territories that they don't get, and D'Annunzio says, fuck that, we should take those places. And the government is like, no, we have a deal with the Allies, we, we cannot do that, and D'Annunzio is like, fuck you guys. And he raised a whole army of veterans who decide to storm this place, which is today's in uh, right across the border. Is uh, back then it would have been, you know, what would become Yugoslavia, but it's like technical. It was a majority Italian population ethnically, but it was not contained within the boundaries of Italy. And he takes over the place, and he's the nuncio, so you cannot go shoot him like you would if somebody occupy on a military level. I think. And for a year and a half, this place becomes, he's right at the end of World War I, so 1919, the year after, this place become uh, 
think like Burning Man on steroids. You know, they are, it's an occupied town with a completely made up government by these guys. And they do the wildest shit that you think 1919 these people are doing. They have orgies. They are, they have crazy art in public. Uh, they have the wild, wild, wild story. It goes on for a year and plus. And eventually the Italian government is like, okay, you pissed us off enough. Now we're going to come out with the candles and they're like, okay, sorry guys, we're going to leave. And, uh, so that's a pretty fun story. That's, uh, that's one that um, I'm going to be recording pretty soon. I'm excited about that one. because it's. Uh, I'm fascinated by, about, by a place that I've never, I didn't hear of until probably 10 years ago for the first time. And it's, it's, right, it's right in that region. It's uh, Monte Negros. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know it, super well, but yes, yeah. It's, okay. And it's and it's um, and it's and it's the one place that seems like it's been a country forever. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I know barely Wikipedia version of that. Not even. I'll kind of like I've heard of it. I'm like, oh, I heard it a couple of times. That's about the extent of it. Yeah, it's. I'm. 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 I'm telling you. I'm. I'm so excited. I want to do. I'd love to do when when things ease up. I'd love that we're building a new podcast studio, and I'd love to have Sweet. you in. With with another comic, maybe I don't know if you drink, but have some wine and yes, uh, absolutely and and I'll read some of these books or I'll, or I'll or I'll hit you up and go. All right, I want to introduce my friend to dot dot dot. Let's let's deep dive it. Perfect. And, uh, that's fun. Yeah, there's so many fun stories. That's that's the fun of it. That everywhere I put the finger on a history page, I'm like, oh, that's a great story. That's an awesome one. That's yeah, my a- wife. My wife was like, what are you going to talk to him about? And I was like, I just want to get to know him. I want to get to know him and, and hopefully he likes me and I'll do my podcast again. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm down with the wine drinking and wild storytelling. That sounds perfect. Oh, that's fucking great. Well, I genuinely appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank I you so much. I, I want to respect your time. And, and, and when things loosen up, you're in, you're based out of LA, right? I'm just outside. I'm in Ohio right now. I was in LA oh. forever, and then I just moved out a little. But it's like hour and a half out of LA. God so bless you. Close. I wish I was in Ohio. Oh God, sweet spot. I got to tell you, it's nice well, it's out great here. Great in Ohio. Yeah. Well, I, I really sincerely appreciate you doing this. Um, I'll put all your promo stuff at the front of the podcast to make sure everyone finds you. But uh, it's it was an honor, and 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 hopefully I'll trade numbers with you, and I can text you every now and again, and then. When I'm like, wait, real quick, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah, when you when you have a late night uh, and a little too much to drink, uh, we have uh, that's perfect. That's the perfect conversation. We'll have a semi-drunken conversation about history. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you so uh, much. And stay safe. God bless. I'll talk you to you later. Man. You too. Thank you so much. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.